Scripture comes from 1 Kings 19, chapter 1st through the 18th verse. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake bread on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. Then he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophet with the sword. And I, even only I, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Maholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. The word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And I just want to say I appreciate uh, Pastor Tom Henry preaching last week. Um, he is a great uh, friend of mine, and more than that, a mentor, and we're just glad to have him. And um, I listened to his sermon. It was awesome. And so... Um, I appreciate God um, for him, 
And, um, but this week, we're back in Kings. And um, we pick up after uh, Elijah the prophet prays and has fire rain down from heaven in, ver- in chapter 18. Rain down from heaven, fire, in a miraculous show of God's power. One man, Elijah, against 450 prophets of Baal, comes out on top in front of everybody, right? And it works. Israel, who was considering trading the God of the Bible in for Baal, declare out loud after the fireworks, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And in total domination fashion, Elijah runs up the score, if you will, by having 450 false prophets killed that day. And after a a three-and-a-half-year drought that Elijah had prayed for, instead of confetti, God finally brings rain down from the sky to the land. And this dude, Elijah, he just doesn't do a victory lap, the Bible tells us at the end of chapter 18. He, he does a victory run. The Bible tells us that, that he tucks in his robe and outruns the king's horse and chariot for about a 17-mile journey. And just before he gets what he deserves, the, a shoe deal, Right? Or does the autograph tour around the northern kingdom? Word gets back from King Ahab to his queen Jezebel. And everybody knows that nothing is settled until mama says it's settled, right? Doesn't matter what daddy and the kids have decided. And this is her word to Elijah when he shows up all glowing with victory, right? She sends a message to him and she says this, I don't care what happened at Mount Carmel. I swear before the God that I still say is God, though he got punked by your God, that you, Elijah, are a dead man if you stay around here. So Elijah did what anyone who just won the Super Bowl of the gods would do. No, he didn't go to Disney World or flaunt his victory hardware, he ran, scared. The Bible says for about 90 miles, right? As far as he could get from Queen Jezebel to the farthest reach and corner of the kingdom. And though he had just swept the Baal prophets, this champion of prophets went under a broom tree deep in the desert to die. This passage of Elijah's depression and God's grace to him is designed to give us hope in our darkest moments. And we do, and we will have them. Some of you might be living right now at midnight, right now, despite it being light outside, lost and bewildered and just done. So two things I want us to take away from this passage first like Elijah, we all experience the, 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 the downing, if you will, the, the effects of living in this fallen world. But secondly, like Elijah, God hems us in. We all experience the fall, number one, but God is gracious to hem us in. So what happened to Elijah the powerful man of God that we saw in chapter 18. He experienced what we all do. The depression and depletion of just living in the world. 
that sometimes drives us to a place inside ourselves, deep inside ourselves, where even if we, even we as believers, it's just hard and impossible sometimes to see and believe the God who saved you. The book of James in the New Testament says it well, that though Elijah was a powerful man of prayer, that at the end of the day, he was just a human like you and me. And after doing and giving everything he had to please God, imagine this, right? And he did the right thing. After being willing to put his life on the, on the line and exercising great faith, faith in the face of death, instead of things going well for him, he gets a message from Jezebel that he had a death warrant on his head. And when he hears that, he spirals into an understandable fear-induced depression and depletion of body, will, and heart. Look, beginning at verse 4 with me. But he, Elijah, after hearing this nude himself, went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. I'm going to stop right there. Elijah's like, I'm tired. Not just physically. I'm sick and tired. Sick and tired of, of having to deal with these fools. I'm, I'm sick and tired of not being enough. I'm sick and tired of not, never just, you know, getting a win, plain and simple and fully. I'm tired of running for this and running for that from this and that. Why, after all I've done, I can't catch a break. I've been, as the old folks used to sing, running for the Lord a long time. And now, if that ain't enough, God, you want this woman to take my life. For him to say this, it's to say in verse 4 that he is no better than his fathers. Elijah is saying, just like the Old Testament folk, right? I didn't have enough faith to face Jezebel. I flaked, I fluked, right? I flunked, I failed to be as good as I thought I was. In hard times, the real me, not the superhero me I made myself out, out to be and felt I was, not the I'm doing pretty good all by myself before 450 prophets and one me, but the real scary, insecure, don't know what to do now that my life is on the line, hard to trust and be a believer, possibly old me, came out under pressure and I let you down, God. And not only do I not like what happened, I don't like me anymore. The me you made me anymore. I don't want to be me. It is in this life, this way anymore, and I am tired. I don't want to work through it and be hopeful and put one foot in front of the other. I'm done. For him to lay down in a deep desert under a tree, ain't no air conditioning out there, y'all. There's no zoos where they get all the animals away from you, right? This, this, this is wide open territory, right? Somebody looking for lunch and you're it. For him to lay in a deep desert under trees, the same thing as saying, I'm just going to stay right here and sleep it away. And maybe I won't wake up. I'm going to sink into the dark place. I'm going to wake up dead. I'm just going to let myself rot. Right here. You ever just come to the end of yourself? 
Sometimes it's on a day where you started out feeling like a winner just to have something or someone take all the good day's good happiness and spoils away from you. Ever just hate yourself and hate how you acted? When you talk a lot, that happens. When you do like the rewind of the night, doggone, look at me. And you realize, right, it was too late to fix how much of a fool, a fluke you were, maybe in your job or in your relationships because of fear like Elijah or lust or greed or insecurity. And everyone saw it, especially you and God, and you went the wrong way or ran the wrong direction. And now the myth, hear me, the myth of the good, controlled, keep your head up, moral, never fooled, successful you, met your match and you botched it and faked it and flipped out. And some have, have, have had fear and depression. Chemically, some of us. Onset because of hard times. Come over us like a cloud that's put on us by, by something or someone else. Maybe some past abuse. Maybe some neglect or bullying. Or someone just looking past you or disposing of you in some terrible way. Just being afraid of other people. And maybe things ain't coming together right in your mind. Or you can't get past the loss of someone close to you. Or can't make the person who should be close to you come any closer because they have issues. And now you do too. A marriage that's held you back and down and under historically. And at the moment, and you were as good in that marriage as you could be. And now another setback, another dull stab for some of you kids at school. You just can't fit in. You said the bad words. You got the right shoes. You held back the things you thought would make everybody run away from you. You did the thing you weren't supposed to do. And the kids made sure you still felt left out. It still wasn't enough and you want to hide and disappear from the embarrassment and rejection. Didn't make the team. Didn't make the squad. Didn't make the grade. Welcome. Welcome to what Elijah found in his fear. He was depleted and depressed from living as a fallen person, a sinful person in a fallen and sinful world of Satan and sin and the powers that be. And like him, you will and can sometimes come to a place where you just say, life is just too hard. So let me stop caring. Let me stop trying. Let me stop living and just give in and lay down and stop fighting and running for or to the Lord and die. And it can be metaphorical death. You just want to give up. You're just going to float through. And if that wasn't low enough, Elijah found something else about himself that we should realize about ourselves. That we all fail at times to see and believe God. So Elijah is fed by God, and we'll get back to that, and gets just enough energy back to him to, to, to take him to a cave. And the Bible says in verse 9 that God asked Elijah, what are you doing here? It's a rhetorical question, and we'll get to what else this question means. It's a rhetorical question in part that is meant to say, you shouldn't be hiding out here. Why are you still hiding instead of living and going and doing what prophets do? 
And not only tells God why, answers God's question, he sort of tells God off, doesn't he? Look at verse 10 with me. He said, I've been very jealous. That means I, I, I have been all about you, God, for the Lord, right? The God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. What is Elijah saying? I signed up to follow you. When the rest of your so-called people turned on you, I alone was righteous for you, God, and they tore your stuff up and defaced and demeaned what it meant to be a child of God, and I acted like a man of God and stood up for you, and where do I get a death sentence? By a queen who hates you and me because I chose to love you. Thanks a lot, God. Where is God and God's good for me in that, Elijah saying? I can't see or believe that is good or that you're that good concerning me in this. And the Bible says that God answers this way. Now understand, he is on the same mountain and near the same cave, not just any cave, but the mountain and the cave where Moses met God before coming down with the Ten Commandments. Look at verse 11. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord, the mount, right? And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. <laughs> and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. God goes out of his way to put on a show for Elijah. To teach him something that, that he can take hope in. And, and we'll come back to that again. In this, and to what that lesson and hope is. But even after all of that, look at what Elijah says. It sounds very familiar, right? Look at verse 14. So God does this great show, rocks blowing up, all kind of stuff. And he says, I am very jealous. Look at verse 10. It's the same thing, right? I am very jealous for the Lord, the Lord God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Elijah is like, yeah, yeah, blown up rocks, winds, and earthquakes, and fire. And then a whisper, and though I hear that, the Lord in that whisper, He's like, I can't hear the miracle story stuff. And even though I heard your voice, it ain't working this time. Fool me once, shame on you, right? Fool me twice, shame on me. I am still dead meat after all of that. God, not in the wind and fire, and I can hear you in the whisper stuff. He's as far as you can go sometimes, right? Can you say done? Elijah is right up with God, and he can't see and fails to believe even when he hears his voice. The Bible says after he hears all this, he leaves the place, right? He covers up his face and goes from the place to the front of the cave. He is hiding and ashamed and doesn't want to face God any or anyone else. Let me let you know. Like Elijah, spiritual depression, I want to call it. In seasons of feeling far and unconvinced and stuck in, in some kind of sin, rebellion, and cycle in your heart and unbelief is real for everyone. And even the believer, even the child of God, yes, 
you can look at your life and even your good history with God and not see him. Or yes, hear God in the word like a whisper. And yes, be able to hear God and know he is speaking. Still believe he's there, but not believe what he's promising or saying or able to act on it about your life. And you can almost be paralyzed and unable to change your heart yourself. And it is not necessarily that you have lost your faith or that the faith has lost you. You may be in a spiritually dark place, in a cave of depression. And like Elijah, it is marked by loneliness. He's by himself. He told his servant to stay back. I got to do this by myself. Where no one else is there or gets it or nothing else, nothing anyone says breaks in or breaks through. Though you know deep down in a whisper, it's the voice and truth of God speaking to you. I don't know about you. I don't know about all of you. But I, along with many of you, because I know some of you, have been so condemned by something you've done or something you've experienced that you just don't want to believe or can't believe right now. Some kind of trauma that you said God wasn't in that, he didn't help. And you almost hide away and run away from God. Some of you right now are somewhere in your heart and mind and life and body and behavior where you shouldn't be. And God is asking your heart and, your, and you hear him sometimes asking, what are you doing here? What are you into? What are you out of that you should be in? Staying home from worship, staying within yourself, not confessing your sins before God and, and others are free to be free, staying away from godly community, just mad or angry or evil right now. On the outs, running from God and his grace. Maybe because you just want to wallow in self-pity. Man, I, I love some self-pity sometimes. It feels like a blanket, Right? You could just suck your thumb and be like Linus with the blankets. And like Elijah, you, you tell yourself half-truths, like he did, right? Didn't he tell half the story? Notice he doesn't mention the good stuff. He doesn't talk about, hey, God, there's fire from heaven in verse 14. He doesn't say, God, there's fire from heaven. And, you, oh, yeah, your people repented, and they said, the Lord, he is God. He didn't talk about the death of the 450 prophets. In our self-pity, it is so clear that we get stuck on and in the bad news and can't face or want to hear or acknowledge the good news God has given us. Like Elijah, just by living in this fallen world as sinners who sin and are sinned against and often mistreated, sometimes we are there in a hard, dark place. But thank God, like the story of Elijah shows us, God was right where and who he promises he would be. Righteous and right there, holding and hemming us in. Hem may be a foreign word for some of us, especially those who don't or haven't worn real dress pants. If you grew up having a suit, wearing a suit, you know what hemming is. You know? It's, it, it, there's no stitch. I don't know if you know this, but pants used to come, like really dress pants, would come sometimes, and they wouldn't have like a bottom on it, right? And, or, or, or it'd be too long for you. 
right? Because if you grew up and you had suits passed around from uncle to granddaddy to everybody else, hemming was so important. And so they'd put a stitch at the bottom part of the pant. They would, they would take the extra material, fold it up, and you know what? <laughs> Sometimes they would take, like, you'd have a foot of fabric and mama would fold it up and inside and then hem it in right around the top so it wouldn't fall out. Why? Because you're going to grow into them pants, right? And we're going to let it out a little bit. That foot, we're going to let it out an inch at a time every year. These pants going to go for a long time. When there's no stitch at the bottom of the pants, it just falls out and on the ground and over your foot or trips you up until someone takes a thread and sews it together with the rest of the pants. And be hemmed in means to be sewn in from all sides so that what is in does not fall out or get lost. Like the stuff, the cotton, the feathers, and a pillow are hemmed into a pillow, right? To not be lost all over the place. Well, like Elijah, in our depression, in our depletion, in our failure to see and believe God because of the fall and sorrow of sin, God is faithful to hem us in so we are not lost or fall out of his grace by feeding and filling us with his grace and leading and keeping us in his grace. So Elijah runs probably 100 miles out of fear into a place of utter depression and depletion externally and internally, spiritually and physically broke down and unable to keep running for and serving God. And the Bible tells us that when he lays under a broom tree to die, this happens. Look at verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel, right, touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on some hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again, and the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of the Lord. And the angel comes and wakes Elijah up. And the angel has not just gone out for groceries. The angel cooks the meal, right? Somebody did. A hot meal. Maybe it's takeout from heaven. I don't know. He cooks a hot meal, and then he provides a refreshing drink for Elijah. What Elijah experienced in that moment, in his depletion and depression, you and I can experience as well from the Lord, right? Sustenance and filling and comfort and care and ministry from God himself that like it was for Elijah, fit and filling for your particular situation. And thus, every depressing and depleting issue anyone in this room may face. This is the kind of God, we believers who are depleted and depressed and can't and won't. And it says here, you won't make it by yourself, Elijah. You need to eat this that we won't serve ourselves have. This is the kind of God. We have a God who prepares for our sorrow ahead of time and feeds us and fills us as we fall down. But, but he is a God who is not only gracious with what 
We need to keep going and not faint or fade to black. He is gracious in how he gives it. Do you see it? He does not condemn damn Elijah for his state. He doesn't say, try hard, Elijah. He doesn't say, Elijah, go get out, go do something, go get some food, cook, pull yourself together, wash your face. If only you had, no, the scandalous, I'm going to call it. Because sometimes I think pastors are afraid to preach this, but it's the gospel. The scandalous grace of God offering to fallen people who might even be down and out because of their own bad choices is the free, non-transactional, unconditional love of God for down and out and depressed people. And if you and I happen to be there with the Lord as your Savior, He will be there with what you need, when you need it, and how you need it. I'm just testifying, right? And sharing now beyond what we see here in Elijah's story. But after 20 years of being in ministry, I've seen the worst. Given what they need to just rest. Elijah went back to sleep, right? He ate, then he was able to go back to sleep. Just enough, y'all. Grace by God to wait it out a little longer. To just not end it all. To not walk out on your spouse. To not walk out on your life. To not walk out on the things God has called you to. Now understand that, just like Elijah, I am not saying that the grace of God provides enough that automatically or instantly you become world beaters and champs. But God, in my experience, and what I see in this word, and what I've seen in your lives, gives us the grace we need sometimes to just stay in the land of the living. One more night, one more day, and maybe not an angel all the time, but by the Holy Spirit, just nudging us and, and giving us, and, or sometimes using someone by God to text you, or give you a call, or hug you, or even just look at you in the eyes, or yes, bring you a meal, or take you out to one, or something comes on the radio, or something just wakes you up a little bit. It is not something. It is someone, the Lord ministering to you. The gospel is God's promise to go and come down where you have run to and feed us and help us in ways that we can't. And in doing so, hems us in. He's able to hold us in the faith to keep his children alive. He's able to put our fragile, broken pieces in a safe place for a while. He alone is able to not lose us to the darkness and to the death, but as powerful Lord to come into our darkness, into our desert, and into our deadly place spiritually and physically and keep us from not losing it. Not just it, but more importantly, losing ourselves from being with him. Like many of you, there have been times I wanted to just stay mad and went to bed hoping I wouldn't wake up. But guess what? I woke up. Doggone, sometimes I say, right? The spirit has worked, and, and, and the mad heart I went with, and all the things I decided I wasn't going to do, and walk away from God, and do all the things, and be mad. I woke up and wasn't there. Doggone, I'm swinging my legs out of bed again. And even getting a little hype, right, on the devotion. I do with my boys in the morning. Man, I, I am not out of the life of God, even though I have a lingering depression. 
found. But how? Because of the Lord. Like some of you, I'm just walking and limping. And sometimes the Bible says dragged along and forward. Sometimes carried along by what God is doing in the current of his love, right? But like a bump on a log, a log that's going in the stream, right? And somehow I get there on the shore of his love because he's moving me. And like Elijah, once we are rested and saved from a depression, we see that the Lord hems us in as he leads and keeps us in the way. God asked Elijah an interesting question again in verse 9. What are you doing here? Interesting because it has a dual goal and it's asking. We talked about the first as in what the heck are you doing, man? All running away. But the second is like, do you know why you are here and with me? Do you know why you're here at this cave, at this mountain, with me hanging out with you, why I've brought you here? In other words, do you know where and how you stand here right now? And to ask that question at one of the holiest places geographically, the history of Israel where God met Moses and renewed the covenant with his people and brought down the Ten Commandments, for God to ask Elijah why he was here and God was with him is, is for God to teach something about his love and grace to a very depressed and disobedient and stink acting right now, Elijah, right? Yeah, we can act stink before the Lord. That's a good word for it. And coming to Elijah, the Bible says, First in the food in the desert. And some of you Bible folk, you know how this is going, right? Having him walk 40 days and 40 nights, reflecting the 40 years the Israelites wandered in the desert. And God, then God brings wind, the earthquake, and the fire. And God not being there for Elijah, finally being there in the sound of the little whisper, right? God was chronicling, y'all, especially in the setting of that mountain and its history. He was reminding Elijah of the history of his revealing to his people that he was there. That all, through all the generations, even when they could not see it or respond rightly to it, then they acted like straight fools in the desert. He had caused all the wind back in the day, an earthquake and fire on that mountain where God made a covenant with his people. And now in a whisper, he was there. And where was Elijah? Pouting and depressed and running away. Hear me now. Don't miss this. He was pouting and depressed and running as God was showing and teaching him. Within the sovereign and overreaching way and leading of God. He was telling Elijah, you might not hear me or see me in this or that or hear me softly sometimes, but you are never out of my reach. You can never outrun or fall out of or fade out of or depress or die out of my will and desire to save you and make you and keep you in my promises, in my will, in my way, and what I've been doing and planning for you all along before you were even born. That you might be depressed and disobedient, don't want to and can't hear from God, but I, God, will never change. And that is good news for you. I am always with you and never will leave or forsake you, even if by your assessment and feeling and hardship right now, you don't like me. You are hemmed into the plan, Elijah. You are hemmed in my conclusive and perfect work as Savior of my people. You and your life are hemmed in with, the, with stink attitude, insecurity, and all. You can be secure in this. And where and how is God? He is there and faithful and loving and living for your good. 
Listen, people, like Elijah, where and how are you when you are down and out and can't react to God or whether you can hear him loudly or not is less important than where and how your Lord is. Because I don't know whether you know, but the soft voice that doesn't seem to leave you is saying, I, God, I'm here and there and faithful and carrying out my will and way. And even if and when you can't talk or walk or you fail or fall and faint out of it for whatever reason, I will always see you and hear you and find you and reach you and keep you and lead you in the way of my love and the way of my promises and the way of my peace in the way of my grace. I know where some of you are and even why you are here. But answer this. Where and why is God still here with you and me? Even the dark and pouty, broken self-pity, messed up by our bad, scary, and insecure decisions. Why is God still here? Because he delights in you despite you. He wants you despite you're not really feeling him right now. The plan for our lives is still wonderful and to him and for him, even if it is less than all of that right now for you. He is here because our beginning and our end as his children was always as Elijah saw in this example, always about his love and plan to make us and keep us and save us and not about the ups and downs and highs and lows and defeats and depletions that we are bound to experience. That is what he was showing Elijah and this is what he is showing you and me. You are hemmed in. You are kept in his way by him. You might shift and shake inside the case like the loose parts inside of a pillow. Whatever case of depression and unbelief you might be having, let's go with it that way. God is hemming you and me in. And look how this thing ends, verse 15 through 18. And the Lord said to him, go and return. This is after he hears all this and still can't do it. (laughs) Go and return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel, the king of Assyria, And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hiziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Not going to pull everything out here in these verses, but this. Elijah anointed the successors and victors to his depression and fear and failure who would call and rally thousands to fight Jezebel and Ahab. God was going to handle and take care of what caused Elijah sorrow, depression, and grief and cause him to fail by sending kings and a prophet of his choosing and give Elijah community that he would not be alone in his hard times. Y'all know where I'm going with this, right? Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and died as God's anointed. 
though like God's still voice, sort of underwhelming King of King and Lord of Lords to be with those who are too broken and trapped in darkness to save themselves. But he rose from the grave, the Bible says, declaring victory over all that could bring you and me down into our darkness and dark places. He closed the case on our present suffering and darkness. What Jesus did was hem those in who would be aroused by his grace from their sin, sleep, and depression to follow him and who would have no hope but to have God pick them up and lead them and keep them in the way. And because he's coming back to deal a final blow to a fallen world that's promised, do you know that you and I are hemmed into the goodness and salvation? Because when we couldn't, when you were beat, when you were tired of following God, God anointed and sent and did it through Jesus for us. And yeah, we've already talked about what and why we are often down and depressed and running and worn out. But why, Jesus? What are you doing here, Jesus? What were you doing here, Jesus? Why are you doing it? Why have you followed me, Jesus, into the darkness? Why have you followed me into my desert? Why did you not follow me? Why did you follow me, right, when I laid under the tree, but you went up and died metaphorically on that tree? What are you doing here? Like the meal Elijah had, Jesus is in the dark places to be our shade from the sun as we lay in the shadow of the cross, to be our food to bring us grace to restore his life in us. In fact, Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have not come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose nothing of all or none of those who that whom he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. He will not lose any of you. We have to rhetorically ask again, what are you doing here, Jesus, in my broken and messed up life? Jesus is the hem of God on the lives of those who are falling apart. He is bringing all the promises of all the history of all his might and all his power and all of the ministry and community of his church in that more than 7,000 worldwide now, all of the graces of God and the Lord's Supper and the fellowship of his God's people and the word and the comfort and power of his Holy Spirit and all he's got to keep us, to hold us, to love us, to lead us in the way. I don't care where you are and where you may end up. The gospel teaches that if you are his child, where you are, he is. Where you go, he will go. 
and he will not lose you. You are hemmed in by his perfect divine character and love. You might be pouting, self-pitying, and not like God right now, but if you are hemmed in Jesus, you are a pouty, self-pitying, depressed, distressed person walking in the way and love of God. Imagine that. That's the gospel. So take hope even when you can't for yourself right now. In this small meal, in this small whisper of God's voice, you will not fall away from and out from him. You will not be lost to the evil one or the evil world. If you're his, you're hemmed in. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, give your people hope today. We go up and down in this desert, in this cave, in this dark place. You said the darkness is like light to you. You see us. You hold us in. And Lord, I do pray that you would bring your people out. I pray for those who don't know you today who are down and depressed, just kind of broken and beat up and are thinking, if I could just do better, if I can just arouse myself, if I could just fix my life myself, Lord, discourage and encourage them at the same time. Discourage them away from trying to fix something that's too broken for them to fix. But Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit, that your ministry, your angels, Lord, whatever you want to use, would nudge them to eat of Christ, to rest in what God has done. I pray for your people, Lord, right now. Pray that they'd be able to at least hear the whisper of your promises to them. And in that whisper, they'd have a story of a Savior who died and loved them and won't leave or lose or forsake them. Be with us right now as we take this supper and confess our sins to you. In Jesus' name, amen.